Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply, from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have trusted that the Lord is good. We're going to pray in a moment. Um, I don't know about you but sometimes in collective prayer like this there can be a sort of a a disconnect. Uh, We follow the prayer in a sort of a passive way. I hope that uh, we'll be able to, as the reading began, prepare our minds for action. And surely prayer is one of the great activities. Not a passive thing, but an active thing. So as we think about various uh, people whom we know and uh, circumstances which people find themselves today, all the prevailing needs, let's come together as a company of God's people and pray. Let's do that. Take a moment to be still in God's presence. Gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus, today, as we meet in your name, it is our prayer that we might be grounded and settled in your truth. by the coming of your Holy Spirit into our hearts. So help us, indeed prompt us to be receptive to all that you have to do and say among us today. And Lord, there are times when we come like this, we are conscious of things that we do not know, 
so we ask that you would reveal them to us and what is lacking within us that you would make complete and indeed O Lord that which we do know that you would establish and confirm within us today we pray for one another and indeed all our unspoken prayers come to you now as we pray together but in particular there would be people who would be with us today who are unable to be here and we ask your blessing upon them and for those O oh Lord who are frail in body and bewildered in mind that you would come to them and remind them today that this is the day that you have made and we can be glad and rejoice in it we know how quickly children grow and we pray for all the young people now and the children as we meet like this and all their parents and we thank you for their teachers we thank you for their diligence in preparing and Lord we think beyond the S club to the local schools indeed we are meeting here in a school and we thank you for Christian teachers we pray for governors and those who have opportunities to take assemblies and for teachers who provide mentoring and we remember now those, O oh Lord, who are preparing to go away to study, those for the first time to universities, we ask that you would help them and guide them. May they be established in a Christian community. We thank you for the Christian Union movement, how much it has strengthened and established our young people. And we thank you for church that are geared up and are welcoming so would you prosper all that is done in the opportunities of learning and teaching and now Lord we come before you and we pray for one another not only in terms of the challenges and the joys but the heartaches too and Lord we try to think of praying beyond our experience we think of the leaders of the nation and even though we see so much on the television and these images that can haunt us oftentimes we've grown accustomed to thousands millions of people in Syria alone who are displaced and refugees we are blessed with so much and so, Lord, we pray not through guilt, but through an awareness of your grace. The freedom that we enjoy thus far. And the Christian heritage that we presume upon is oftentimes eroded and we lose sight of it. In all these situations, Lord, we come to you and we pray that you will help us and hear us. And finally, Lord Jesus, for all of our unspoken prayers in the sense that we do not say them outwardly, would you help us?
guide us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, restore our lives which without you are dead, once more kindle our hearts which without you are cold and dull, Enlighten our minds which without you are dark and blind and once more fill your church which without you even today is but an empty shrine. And Lord, we end where we began that you would help us and teach us to pray. And in a moment in our giving we thank you that we can bring our tithes and our gifts and our love offerings to you. Would you help us and continue to build your church, not only with bricks and mortar, but with living stones and transformed lives. And so we pray for the glory of your name. Amen. You can turn back in your Bible to the passage which uh, Marion read for us earlier, which is from 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to have that open as what we're going to be looking at this morning. One of the things I enjoy most about my uh, role as a pastor is seeing lives changed by Christ. Seeing the light come on, uh, people understand the gospel. Seeing people grow in their faith and have a very different outlook from what they had before. The biggest shock to someone when they come to faith is uh, often, particularly as an adult, when they've been used to living uh, their lives in a different way, the feeling that they no longer quite fit in. That the world hasn't changed, the people you work with haven't changed, the people you play with or live next door to haven't changed, but you're different. You behave in a different way, you have different values and priorities. You want to spend your time in a different way. And you soon realise that as Peter calls us in this um, passage, we are strangers and aliens in the world. It comes throughout this letter of Peter, the idea of us being aliens and strangers in the world. We feel different. People see that we are different. But as we begin to feel confident in our new identity, people will notice that actually that difference in us is something quite attractive. The theme of this series in 1 Peter that we're following in the lead-up to Christmas is impacting others. Uh, Whilst we've been out of the building, we've been preparing for our return to the building and the changes that will take place. And we started by focusing back in April-May time on the changes in our own lives in our relationship with God. And that is crucial. Because unless we have a deep-rooted peace and joy in our heart as a, as, as a result of our relationship with Jesus, there's no point spending lots of time discussing programs and strategies and, and, and buildings. Our focus on Christ has to come first. We then look at how we can change each other. And again, that is crucial. We are a church, a family of believers. And if you, your relationship with God is healthy, but others around you are struggling, then as a church we will remain ineffective. But assuming those two things are in place, or we're at least working on them, 
what we are now looking at is how we can change the world in which we live. And last week we set the scene for that by describing one of the key things that marks the Christian out from the person who is not a Christian. And that is that we have a living hope. We have what um, is described in there, that those early verses of 1 Peter, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us. We are strangers and aliens in this world because it is a temporary home. Our real home is in heaven. We have a hope for the life to come. And that hope changes the way we live in this world. So this morning we're looking at how we can impact others through our changed lives. And the passage in verse 13 starts with almost like a conclusion of all that Peter has been saying so far about hope. He says, therefore, and this is the, the new NIV translation, with minds that are fully alert and sober, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. In other words, live your lives focused on his coming again. Be alert, be ready to anything that may may threaten you achieving that goal, which is meeting Jesus face to face. I've enjoyed this week looking out of the, the window of my garden office and watching a couple of squirrels taking in turns to run across the garden, uh, climb up the trees, across the roof of the treehouse, into the branches of the hazel tree. Then they'll grab a nut, stick it in their mouths, and they'll come back the same route off to this hoard. There must have a huge hoard of the nuts uh, somewhere around, which they're stashing up. But the fascinating thing is that they don't sort of just amble along, go and get their nut, come back. Uh, they don't just head down and go and get it and come back again either. I don't know if you ever watched squirrels, but they sort of go in short bursts. They're, they're alert, they're ready, they're prepared, they're watching all around them the whole time, ready for danger. As I've looked at them out of my window, they've seen me looking at them, they'll sort of stare back at me, wondering, he looks pretty dangerous, um, and then they scarper off again. And that's a bit like how we're meant to be, we're focused on our goal, we know what we want, being ready for Jesus coming again, but alert to what is going on around us in the world. We don't just bury our heads in the sand. We're aware of our surroundings. But what does that look like in practical terms? And how does setting my hope on Jesus coming again, being alert to the things around me, help me to live life in this world now? Well, there are four key commands uh, in this passage which helps if you're structuring a sermon. Um, the others that look like commands are actually, if you look at the Greek, they're participles. So we're going to focus on the key commands and the first one there is in verse 15 and that is be holy. Verse 15, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now holy is a, it's a difficult word, isn't it? To really fully understand and to, to grasp. Um, I'm sure you walk down the street in tame and ask people, what does holy mean to you? You probably get some pretty diverse uh, answers. Um, I think if you went to the States, you'll probably get some even more ones. Um, apparently the name Joe is quite holy in the, uh, the States. So if you're called Joe this morning, um, you can feel good about yourself. The fish mackerel, I think, is quite holy in the, the States for some reason, again. Um, and the way young people use mackerel this morning is um, not quite so, so holy. If you don't know what I mean by that, go and ask them. Um, but holy, what is holy about? Holy is about 
the nature, the character of God is what makes him God and what makes him so different from us and it's what makes him impossible to associate with sinful beings and part of the process of becoming a a Christian is understanding just how unlike God we are just knowing how far we are separate from him that image that we've been created by has been so distorted by sin that there's a huge gulf that needs to be bridged between us and God. And the Old Testament prophet Isaiah saw that. He had his eyes opened. He had a vision of God surrounded by heavenly beings calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And his response was, woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King the Lord Almighty. And it was when he saw his own unworthiness, it was at that point that a seraph came down, touched his lips with a coal and said, See, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. That was pointing to the way in which God would atone for our sin. He would deal with it through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, through the death of his Son, God has bridged that gap. He's made us holy. He's made it okay for us to come into his presence. We have been, as it says in verse 18, redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. A price has been paid so that we can be released from slavery. Slavery to sin where life is meaningless because it has no goal or purpose and why it is therefore described as empty. It is empty. As the American writer Eric Hoffer wrote, he said, our greatest pretenses are built up not to hide the evil and the ugly in us, but our emptiness. The hardest thing is to hide something that is not there. We've been redeemed by God. We've been made holy. So when Peter says here, be holy, it doesn't mean make yourselves holy. We can't do that. But what he means is that given that God has made you holy in his sight through the death of Jesus, live holy lives that reflect your new status as children of God. Make it clear that you belong to Jesus Christ. Be holy. And one way in which you do that in verse 14 is, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In your old way of life, give all that up. Don't look back. What are those evil desires? What do they look like? Well, he actually spells them out later on in chapter 2, verse 1. If you turn over the page in your Bibles, um, another word of saying, don't conform to those evil desires, is therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Now, these all sound like nasty things, don't they, that nasty people do. Malice deceit, hypocrisy, they've got that, that nasty sound to them. Not the sort of things that, that we would ever do, surely. But actually, they're exactly the same things that, that we all have done at some stage and still do in many ways. You know, have you never been a little, just a little economical with the, with the truth? Have you never tried to put yourself in a more flattering light than is really the case? Have you never looked at what you haven't got 
rather than being thankful for what you do have. Have you never said anything negative about someone based on what you've heard without actually knowing the full story? All these things are about putting yourself and your interests above those of others. And Peter is saying, that's how you were. That's how you were, but now you've been freed from all that. You're no longer a slave to those desires. Let them go. Let them go. Enjoy your freedom in Christ. You don't need to live like that anymore. And if we are living with different values to the world around us, if we are not deceiving, if we are not being inconsistent, we're not talking about stuff we wished we had, if we're not gossiping about others, then people will notice that. And they want to know why. They will see something attractive in us. The holiness of our lives will have an impact. Be holy. Secondly, verse 17, live your lives in fear. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Or live, out, live as strangers here in reverent fear. Now this throws up another huge issue about what do we mean by the fear of God. Tapping some big issues this morning, holiness fear of God and I wonder if in recent times we've tried to downplay this whole aspect of fear of God because on the one hand we shouldn't be afraid of God should we, he's a loving father and so we introduce words like reverent fear even though it doesn't actually say that in the text and if we're not careful reverent fear then becomes a little bit like um, respect, you know which itself becomes meaningless because very few people are respected in this day and age, especially those in authority. Respect has gone, isn't it? So what is this fear then? Well, if you look back at what comes before, it says, since you call on a father who judges. So there's a father, there's a sense of intimacy. It's not an abstract God, but this is also somebody who judges. He judges each person's work impartially. In other words, he, he judges each person according what they have done. There's no sense of favouritism here. But what is this judgement about? There's a lot of questions, isn't it, about judgement for the, the believer. The idea of being judged by the, the God of the universe should fill us with a sense of terror, of dread. Unless we already know what the verdict is. Because the passage continues as if you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. If we are believers, if we are Christians here this morning, we are reassured that when we stand before Jesus on the day of judgment, we will be acquitted. We will be deemed innocent because perfect obedience of Christ his sacrificial death has paid the price so we can go free now it doesn't mean that we're not still called before the judge you know on that day our faithfulness will be revealed for all to see now that won't determine whether we deserve to be set free but it will determine whether or not our faith in Jesus is genuine and real and we are told that there will be those who are rejected because of their hypocrisy. They've not lived out in their lives what they've professed with their mouths. We're told that there will be rewards in heaven according to how we've used the gifts that God has given us. 
Now, we haven't got time to speculate on that now, but the, the message is that we are living our lives here as strangers and aliens because our heart is in another place. And we need to live out our lives in fear of God. Not fear of whether we are truly saved or not, but fear of offending a God who has already saved us with a huge price. How would we death offend that God? There should be a fear there. God freed you at a huge cost. Therefore, whatever you do, don't show that it was in vain. It's the fear of God that makes us want to grow in holiness. These two are, are connected. Have a look at 2 um, Corinthians 7. If you just flick back to that uh, for a minute. 2 Corinthians 7 comes after Acts and Romans. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence or fear, literally, for God. So we're perfecting holiness out of fear for God. So going back to Peter, what he's saying is that after all that God has done for you, make sure you don't go back to the ways you lived before. You may remember last year the, the SAS rescued four hostages who had been captured by the Taliban. Um, one of those was a 27-year-old British uh, aid worker, Helen Johnston. Now those guys put their lives on the line to rescue them. Imagine how they would feel if having been rescued, Helen Johnson subsequently decided, actually I'm going to go and join the Taliban now. I'm going to go and uh, live with them and, uh, and work for them and do their stuff. Imagine how they would feel. That is something of what it would like to be rescued by the blood of Christ and then go back to your old ways to throw it in God's face. Because of Jesus, we can have a healthy fear of God as well as a faith and a hope in God. And the question is, just uh, as we think this morning, do we live each day with that fear of God? And if not, maybe we need to change our view either of God's holiness and his judgment or the preciousness of Christ's sacrifice for us. Be holy. Live your lives in fear perfect that holiness out of that fear for God. Well, how else should we show that our lives are different? Well, the third a command here is to love one another deeply. So look at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. We impact the lives of others through the change in our own individual lives and that hopefully appear attractive by our holiness. But we also impact others through showing that we are a community that, that loves one another. And what is so noticeable about the love that Christians have for one another is that it doesn't depend on how similar they are in character or temperament or age or interest. We're all different from one another. We've looked at that in recent weeks. We've heard about them a trip to Romania this morning, a very different people. And yet we have one thing in common. We have been redeemed by Christ. <coughs> and we are now, <coughs> excuse me, we're now foreigners in this world. Now where does that love 
come from? Because this passage assumes that we have that love. It says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. That is based on the fact that we've been purified by obeying the truth. To obey the truth is to accept the gospel, the promises of Jesus, to, to do what it says in the previous verse, which is to, to believe in God. Look what it says, that through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. That is what it means to, to obey the truth. And if God has redeemed you, because you've if you've obeyed the truth, you've accepted that message, you have faith and hope in him, then you have become part of a family of believers. You share that same thing in common and therefore it is natural that you have sincere love for one another. That is part of what it means to be saved. But having assumed that we have that love, the command here is to go further than that it is to love one another deeply. In other words, don't be satisfied with your level of commitment to one another. Get deeper, get deeper. Our society is characterised by shallowness, isn't it? Superficial relationships, so that image. And because Christians are on the same spiritual wavelength, they are able to enjoy a depth of relationship that, that others often aren't. But still for Christians it is possible for those relationships still to remain on the surface, to be superficial. So how do we deepen them? Well, often it's when we start praying with others. We start opening up and being vulnerable that we experience that greater depth of love for one another. And there's another aspect to that loving one another as well, though. That comes out in the next verses. Have a look um, here, verse 23. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever, it endures forever. In contrast to, to people, God is enduring. He's constant, he's faithful. And if we're to be like him, then we need to be more constant and faithful in our relationships. We need to be enduring, loving one another deeply and constantly. Well, loving one another deeply will impact others finally to come to the opening verses of chapter 2 which um, conclude this section. Chapter 2 verse 3 says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. I mean, you mums will know just how much babies crave milk. For those about to have babies, you're going to be reminded very soon. So much so that they will cry and cry until they get it. They don't care what time it is, don't care how tired their mother is. They're desperate for it. That's the same sense of desperation that Peter's trying to get across here. He's saying, be desperate for pure spiritual milk. Cry out for it. Do anything you can to get it. But what is it? What is this pure spiritual milk? Well, it's what enabled you to be born again in the first place. And that verse 23 says, so you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The word of God contains the message 
of salvation. But it's not just a message of salvation. God doesn't just call a people to himself and leave them there. All of these things we've been talking about this morning, being being holy, living our lives in fear, loving one another deeply, are ways in which we grow up in our salvation. And the source of that growth is the same word of God. That is where we find out how to be holy, how to live lives in fear, how to live, love one another deeply. So to crave pure spiritual milk is to crave the word of God. The question I have for you this morning is, do you want to grow up in your salvation? People talk today about the Peter Pan generation. Okay, if you haven't used that, heard that phrase used by sociologists, it's the, the 25 to 40 year olds who live extended lives of adolescence, avoiding the trappings of responsibility. Um, it's often men, more prone to it than women, I hasten to add. But there's often also an unwillingness amongst Christians to, to grow up in the Christian faith. People become Christians, there's a, a burst of activity. When they're newborns, they drink everything they can lay their hands on. And then sometimes they feel they've drunk all they need to. But all of us, wherever we're at, whatever age we are, we all need to continually feed on the Word of God. If we're to keep the commands that have been given us in this passage, we need to feed on the Word of God. Without that regular food and drink, we'll become spiritually dry. It doesn't matter how much we've drunk in the past. We need to keep growing. Otherwise, we'll become stunted in our growth. And Paul's basic message here is what many women tell their husbands, grow up. You're not a boy anymore. Act like a man. How do you do that? Where do you get um, the word, a help to, to understand the word? Well, there's no shortage of different ways in which you can do that. Those are digitally literate. There are notes you can download on your phone or your tablet these days. There are audio recordings you can listen to. If you prefer the, prefer the printed material, that's great. Uh, again, there's no shortage of that. But don't just feel you have to stick to what you've done for, for many years. You know, vary it. Uh, don't just get those little sips of the Word of God, but drink deeply. Get into it. Take a whole book of the Bible. Read it. Read Christian books. Understand it. Come along to one of the learning streams this evening. Different types of uh, way in which you can get into God's Word. The Bible overview. The Bible handling skills. Knowing the Gospel. Telling the Gospel. They're all there to help you grow up in your salvation. You can never drink so much of God's word that your thirst will be fully quenched. There's always something there to drink. Next year I'm planning on a sabbatical and you may be thinking, well, what's the point of that? You know, you've done your training. Um, you know, you've got a few years uh, of experience now. Um, you preach an average sermon. You can never know God's word too well. And the more I drink of it, the better I will be able to pastor and feed you as a flock. So let's not sip from the word, let's drink great gulps from his word. We need to finish, let's finish where we, we started, with that opening verse of chapter 13. Therefore, with minds, again I'm using the new NIV, with minds that are alert and sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And do that by being holy, 
by living in a healthy fear of God, by loving one another deeply, and by craving pure spiritual milk. We have a time of quiet. If you do feel that God um, has spoken to you this morning, maybe specifically about something, there is a prayer team who will be at the back. He'll be quite happy to pray with you about something you'd like prayer for. Please feel free to go see them. But my moment of quiet is to deal uh, with these things with, with God. Father God, we thank you for that precious blood of Christ. We thank you for the price that was paid that we could be redeemed from our former way of life. And if we haven't yet accepted that that offer, that price that was paid, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to see our need to do that. And if we have, Lord, help us not to look back, to go back to our former way of life, rid ourselves of all that marks that way of life. Help us to enjoy the freedom we have in Christ. And Lord, help us to grow up in our faith. Help us not to be complacent, but by your grace at work in us, help us to be holy. Help us to have a reverent fear of you. Help us to live, love one another deeply. And Lord, help us to crave pure spiritual milk as we look ahead to the coming of Christ again. We look forward to that day. In his name we pray. Amen.